You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We're in the book of Colossians, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can open to the book of Colossians. Colossians is in the New Testament. It's in the Pauline letters, the Letters that Paul wrote, beginning with Romans, ending with, I don't know, Philemon, maybe it's the last of those. Uh, running out there in my mind. Uh, but yeah, um, so, so you kind of got 12 letters there that Paul wrote. Colossians is kind of in the middle of that. It's a smaller book, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, and we've been going through the book of Colossians now for, uh, I don't know, five or six weeks. We'll continue going through it uh, right up until almost Thanksgiving. Um, just to give you a, an idea of where we are, we're about halfway home in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to a small church in a small town that he had never even visited. But he had heard reports about the church from some fellow Christian ministers and workers. And so he said, I'm going to write them a letter as he sat in prison uh, and said, I have some time here. So I'll devote myself to writing a letter to encouraging these saints in Colossae. And so he writes the letter to them to encourage them to stand firm on what they were, were first founded on, salvation uh, being found by faith uh, in Jesus Christ alone. And so he tries to lift Christ up. The, the, the book of Colossians, uh, kind of most generally summed up, is Christ over all. It's a constant lifting up of Jesus Christ over everything else out there. Uh, the second half of the book that we're beginning to get into now deals with the conflict that kind of Paul is trying to combat. So he starts with praising them and then encouraging them to continue to do the things he's praised them for. And then he comes today um, to the part where he's like, there's some stuff going on that we need to talk about, right? And there's some things that we need to have a discussion about. And I feel like at church sometimes we need to have family discussions sometimes when there's things going on and we just need to we just need to be honest with each other. We just need to talk about what's going on among ourselves. And so Paul writes this letter starting uh, in chapter 2 in verse 8. This is what he says. He says, "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition." according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so he starts and he says, look, be on guard against anything that is worldly that tries to take you captive against Christ. Right? Be on guard against anything out there, any philosophy, any teaching, any idea uh, that, that would like, take the, the work of Christ and subordinate it to something in the world, right? And this happens all the time. I've shared about my, my friend who's an atheist. We grew up in church together. Uh, me and this, this young man here, uh, a good guy, a, a guy that I, I genuinely love. But he stopped going to church about the time we were seniors, which is when kids fall out of church, honestly. If they're raised in church, that senior year is a tough year because all of their friends have graduated ahead of them, and they're kind of in a weird spot there. And they look at the kids below them, and we're too mature for these kids. It really is a rough year. If you're raising seniors or you've gone through the raising of seniors before, that's a, that's a tough, tough thing. I've got a senior right now, right, Sierra? You're a senior this year? Good. When you homeschool, you really don't know what year your kids are. You just hope one day they leave. Uh, my daughter, by the way, got accepted to UMHB this week, so that's good news. You can give her a high five for that. That's 
Always great. If they're in a clapping mood today. Let's see if this transfers into amens later. Okay, that's what we're going to see if it moves into the amen thing. But but you know, so we're we're, we're you know, there's a lot there's a lot of things out there to be excited about. Uh, back to the Bible. I got totally sidetracked talking about my daughter there, and now I'm lost. Just oh yeah, it's tough raising kids, right? As they get into the older age, it's tough to hold uh, them together there. But guys, we need to be on our guard against anything. Anything out there that takes you captive and draws your eyes away from Jesus. There's a lot of things out there to draw your eyes away from Jesus. All right, there's a lot, a lot of things, good things to draw your eyes away from Jesus. I'll start with good things and we'll move to the bad things later, okay? There's good things that can take your eyes off Jesus. There's good philosophies that can take your eyes off of Jesus. I'm, I'm going I'm to talk politics for a minute. I'm not a political preacher. Uh, it's not to say I don't have politics. I do. Um, I would gladly share them in a one-on-one conversation. If you want to sit down with me, I will lay out uh, my politics. You may not like them. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, but but, but I, I don't think this is the, necessarily the best place to put this all out standing up here. Like who I vote for and how I exercise my civic duty. Hopefully that's not why you come to church, <laughs> right? Let's, let's lift Jesus up. But politics, especially in our current day and age, has a tendency to be a good thing. Like we have a responsibility, we have an obligation, we have an opportunity to affect positive change in our community. It has an opportunity to be a good thing that if we allow it to capture our hearts and our minds to become our primary thing. And then instead of being captive to the things of God, we become captive to the things in the political sphere. And I've heard this said, and I've said this myself, you know, one of the things that scares me as a conservative Southern Baptist pastor uh, and I am a conservative Southern Baptist pastor. Right? One of the things that scares me is that my people, you, my church, are discipled on cable news and talk radio for six hours a day. And you're discipled in the Word of God two hours a week. And if you disciple yourself six hours a day in any worldly philosophy, good or not, it, it will corrupt you, right? And so I, I, I caution my, my people, those of you who drink from the water on the right and those of you who drink from the water on the left, right, to, to, to drink from, from the living water of Christ, right, right? Spend more time being discipled by what God has said and what the Word of God has to say and less time about what talk, talk radio guy has to say or alternative news site has to say, or president so-and-so has to say. Spend less time being disciplined with them because who you listen to, what you read, what you immerse yourself in has a tendency to affect who you are. And we need to, and if we're going to be changed by what we consume, if we're going to be changed by what we read, if we're going to be changed by what we, we're discipled by, right? The Bible tells us we should be changed by Christ, right? So we need to be careful that we don't allow good things like your ability to live in a you know, representative Republican uh, d- democracy like we have in the United States of America, a constitutional republic that you have this opportunity to affect change through your vote. And that's a great thing. What a wonderful, wonderful gift from our founding fathers, right? To give us the opportunity to participate in that. But don't let a good thing become a God thing. Don't let a good thing take the place of that, don't let the worldly philosophy of the, the right or the left or 
you're some sort of centrist out there, whatever that is, don't let the worldly philosophies corrupt the true teachings of Jesus. In the church, we have a tendency to allow other things to affect us other than just politics. And so we let other philosophies come. Oh, back to my friend. That's where I was going with my friend. See, I went all the way around to get back to my friend when he was senior in high school when he left church. My friend who left church when he was senior in high school, I talked to him. And I said, hey, buddy. Like, we both love Jesus. He's like, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm like, cool. Why aren't you coming to church? And he loved Jesus still. He's a senior. I love Jesus. I said, awesome. Why aren't you coming to church anymore? And he said to me, I'll never forget, he said, look, I can worship Jesus, I can worship God in my house with my Bible. I don't need the church. I don't need the church out there. And he had some issues with the church generally. There were some things going on that he had some issues with. And, and by the way, if you have issues with the church generally, like awesome, you, you, you're probably paying attention, right? There's some reasons to have some issues with some things that have happened in churches, Right? There's some reasons to be upset with some things that have happened in churches. There's some reasons to have some cautions about what's happened in churches. But to throw away the fellowship of the believers and to go it alone with you and your Bible, and that's all you need is you and your Bible, is a dangerous place to be. And what happened to my friend was over the course of about six months, him and his Bible just, just grew apart. And as he began to read the Bible, he started reading it critically, as in looking for issues to find, to, to source out issues in the Bible. And over the course of about 18 months, he entirely lost his faith. So he and I talked many years later, kind of about that process, and, and he was sharing with me kind of like his, his kind of philosophy for life. And now he's kind of a, an avowed atheist, science kind of guy, like really interested in, in you know, astrophysics and all the things that kind of lend your eyes out. Do you know why these people are so interested in astrophysics? Atheists are so interested? Because they know, like, there's got to be, like, there's something that draws our eyes to something bigger <laughs> than this. And so he's looking out there, and I said, you know, I just would be, I would, and I use the term nihilism. I don't know if y'all know what that means, but nihilism is a philosophy that kind of leads to, like, a hopelessness. And I said, you know, if I gave up on Jesus, if I walked away from my faith, I don't think there'd be any purpose for this life for me. I don't think I'd have anything to be living for, any, any grand understanding of anything. And he said, no, man, what I'm excited about is I know that millions and millions of years ago, like I was, I was stardust in the galaxy. And as it exploded out, like I'm, 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 I'm a part of that great kind of like and it's kind of transcendentalism, Hinduism almost, that he, that he throws in there. But I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of this, this broader thing. I thought, man, that's so sad. But he let the worldly philosophies come in and change who he was. Really, fully changed what he believed. And I love him to this day. Uh, he's a friend of mine. I, I care greatly for him. But, you know, as I, as I had that conversation, I thought, man, that's just so, like, it's so on brand for Colossians. That he wasn't on guard, right? He wasn't seeing to it that no one would take him captive. He made himself available to be taken captive by a philosophy of this world, a worldly philosophy. And he was taken by it. Guys, we have to be on guard against that because everybody wants your belief. Everybody wants your attention. Everybody wants your allegiance. Everybody wants to get a piece of your loyalty. And if you're a believer, which I assume most of us at church on a Sunday morning are believers in Jesus, but if you're a believer here today, 
instead of you know, like, like allowing ourselves to be kind of loyal to this and loyal to this, our, our loyalty has to be to Christ alone. Christ alone. I, I'm a weird person. I think this is true. Uh, I, have, I have like weird, there's things inside of me that other people can do that I can't do. And I'm okay with that. Like, if, 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 if you believe differently than I do about a variety of things, unless it comes down to the very core of our faith, like, I can, I can get along with you on most things. And if we disagree on the faith, I can get along with you so long as you're not trying to pretend like we agree on the faith. Honestly, like my friend who's an atheist, we can get along just fine so long as he doesn't pretend like, like he, 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 he agrees on the faith. So here's an area, I don't share this publicly, I think, almost ever, because it's, it, 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 some of you are going to feel kind of weird about this, uh, so I'll put it out there. Um, whenever I was a senior in high school, uh, again, senior year, right? Something happens to people, senior year. I was working through things, and this idea of loyalty to Christ above all just got, like, buried in my heart. And, I mean, it, it went deep inside of my heart, and I began to not, no longer be able to really share divided loyalties well. And what happened to me in that process is I became, and I still am, I suppose, like I have very great difficulty with the Pledge of Allegiance. Like the pledge to the United States, the flag, the United States of America, I said it every day my whole childhood. I have difficulty with it. I don't mind other people saying it. Like if you don't have a conviction on that, God bless you on that. Continue, whatever. But for me, God put something in me, and I just couldn't do it. And I came here to Rockdale, Texas, um, and I was invited to the Chamber of Commerce dinner to pray over the meal. And I was like, awesome, I can do that. And I get there to pray over the meal, and Charlie McGregor kind of comes up and says, oh, you're also going to lead the pledge, and then you're going to pray. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what to do. Right? I, was, I was like, I, I, I can't. And I had to tell Charlie McGregor, who I didn't know at all at the time, I was like, yeah, so I can't do that. And I know that's weird. Like, I know it. I'm fully aware that uh, puts me in a weird spot among most. Like, I, the World Cup's coming up in December, and I will be cheering for the United States of America to destroy everybody, right? Because, like, I'm an American. Like, it's in me. Like, I love you know, the Olympics. I love the Olympics, right? Because we get to show our domination for other countries, right? But when it comes to the pledge, there's something in me when I'm pledging my allegiance uh, to a flag, like there's something in me that says, I can't pledge allegiance to the flag because my allegiance is already pledged to Jesus. It really is deep inside of me. I think some of us, I'm not saying this specific thing, I'm using it as an example. You might need to think about where you're willing to just give your allegiance to, though, because someone has asked you to give your allegiance to it. You might want to critically think just for a second, is this really worth me sharing my allegiance with? Uh, and, and you may come to different spots than I do. I, I, again, I know I'm weird. I think I led it that way, right? I'm going to end it that way. I know I'm weird on this. But, but what matters is I think we need to be careful about what we choose to give our allegiance to. We need to be cautious. If we're going to say the Pledge of Allegiance, then we need to internalize that, and we need to know this is what I'm pledging. This is what I'm going to pledge. And when we pledge our allegiance to a political party, when we pledge our allegiance uh, to a social club, when we pledge our allegiance uh, to anything out there that's trying to get us in, like I was at Rotary, right, and they have like a pledge, and it's generally a good thing, like be nice to people. I don't know the Rotarian threefold thing because I'm not a, a Rotary guy. But it's basically be good to people. 
like, okay, I think that's an okay. Be good. Listen or something. I don't know. I don't pay attention real well, to be honest with you guys. But just be cautious about who you give your allegiance to because there's a lot of worldly philosophies that are trying to capture the hearts and minds that are otherwise supposed to be given to Christ and Christ alone. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Anyone who's trying to take you captive for an idea that isn't underneath the umbrella of Christ, you must be cautious about allowing them to have access to you. Going to verse 9, it says, For in him, in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so he says, be careful about these worldly philosophies that, that do not have, you know, the, 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 that, that are undermining Christ, right? That, that, that are not according to Christ because in Christ, look at who he is. Like, look at what Christ was able to be in Christ, the fullness of deity, the fullness of who God is, dwelled in a body. Right? That is who we serve. That is who we're loyal to. Right? That is where our loyalty lies because look at who he is. Compare him to the human traditions out there. Compare him to the other philosophies out there. Compare him to the other things trying to grab your loyalty out there. They all pale in comparison to Jesus. He's better. The fullness of God dwells in him bodily. And then what does he do? He fills us, right? Christ fills us with his working power, right? You've been filled with him, with, with the one who is the head and the ruler, has all authority. And in him, he circumcised you with a, uh, a non-human circumcision. And circumcision was a, a rite that was performed by Jews to mark on the body those who were inside of God's people. It was a physical mark on the body to say you are a part of Abraham's children. You are a part of God's chosen people. And inside of this church in Colossae, someone likely came along and said, you can't follow God unless you have gone through this surgical procedure. You can't call yourself a follower of God. You can't say that you're a follower of Jesus, who was a Jew. You can't say that if you're not willing to follow God by taking on the mark on your body that God required of all of his children. And Paul is saying, at your salvation, God performs a miraculous work on you, on your soul. And that is the mark that matters, the, 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 the spiritual circumcision, not the bodily circumcision. It doesn't matter how many marks you have on your body. It doesn't matter what, what outward signs you may put on. What matters is, has your heart been transformed into the likeness that God demands of it? And then, as your outward sign of what God has already done, you have been baptized there's a reason in this church we practice baptism among believers. There's a reason that other churches don't practice baptism and are wrong to do so. There's a lot of churches that say you get yourself a baby, 
You pour some water on their head, they're in. They're taking circumcision, literally. What happened to an eight-day-old little Jewish boy will do the same thing to a little Lutheran baby or a little Catholic baby or a little Methodist baby. We'll do the exact same thing. We're going to mark them in a service to be set aside, but that mark is invalid until the heart is transformed by the power of God. It, it doesn't matter. I got baptized, believer baptized, when I was eight years old. I knew I was supposed to walk the aisle. I walked the aisle. My pastor asked me some questions. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you know that you're a sinner? Yes. All the right questions. I gave all the right answers. I went in the baptistry. They put me down. They brought me up. By the way, immersion baptism is also a biblical practice. Right, because it shows the entire burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Uh, splashing doesn't do that, right? A sprinkling doesn't do that. I saw, you know, social distance baptizing with a squirt gun, right? It doesn't, do, doesn't do that. I'm not saying there's no reason to dedicate your child to the Lord. I'm not saying there's no reason to follow some religious rites for your child to mark them and to say, "This child, I'm going to raise in a way to know the Lord." But you need to understand that baptism is designed. It is set up throughout the entirety of the New Testament to show outwardly what God has already done inwardly on the heart of the believer. And I know there are people in here who have not been baptized in a biblical way. And I'm talking to y'all, all of y'all, just so you know. Okay, I am. I know it. I'm just going to ask you to, to consider for a second. If God has done the work of transforming your heart, if God has done the work of changing your heart into something new through, through the power of Jesus, if he, if he has circumcised your heart, he has, he has marked you as his, your response to that is to publicly profess him in baptism and to demonstrate to the watching world the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. I, I love, I talk to kids about baptism a good bit. And that's what I love talking about. It's like, man, you get, to, you get to testify about what God has already done in your life. I give them like an acronym of four things that they need to do as believers. Go to church, read the Bible, obey what the Bible says, and then witness. It says grow. You're acronyming it out with me because um, I'm not that smart. I'll forget it. But on the witness one, I'm like, the first witness you're going to do is you're going to go up there in that little bathtub, and you're going to get baptized. And when you come out, Right, the whole world's going to see a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how you have taken that on. You're going to testify to what God has done. It is an opportunity to testify to what God has done inwardly on you. Baptism matters. I was at a church, two churches back from me. And uh, it was a Baptist church because you know, I'm, I'm pretty Baptist, ultimately. Uh, deep down in my heart, that's who I am. And uh, you know, my pastor there, who's a little different, said, you know, the Baptist church is probably the church that has the weakest understanding of baptism. <laughs> and I thought, that might be true. We put it in the name, it's on the sign, but we really do a bad job of explaining it. Colossians does a pretty good job here. Through the power of God, through the power of Christ, Christ has worked miraculously to change who you are, and then your response is to show that through baptism. So, so if you've never understood baptism, that's what it is. Uh, that is what it is. That, that's what it's designed to be. If you were baptized uh, as, a, as a baby, like I'm not saying your baptism isn't important or special to you because it probably is. I'm just saying it doesn't do what God intended it to do, which is to show the world what God has already done in your life through your belief.
So, so, so if you need to get baptized, we're having an invitation at the end of the service. We're not quite there yet. But we're going to have the tub filled like in three or four weeks. Uh, we, got, we got a baptism coming up, like three people, one of which is an adult who was like a Methodist uh, and needed to be baptized. <laughs> right? So if you want to join in, we can just do a parade through the, the, the baptistry. I'd love nothing more. You have an opportunity to come. If you need to do that, say, man, I've just never been baptized biblically. Well, come on down, right? You're the next contestant on the baptism will be right. Okay, we'll get it right, and, and we'll, move, we'll move on from there. But Christ did this work and brought you in, and so we, we, we celebrate that by showing out in baptism. Go to verse 13. It says, and you, who were just you know, celebrating through baptism, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them. I I love the picture of canceling debts. It's probably my favorite, I don't know, top five favorite evangelistic technique. But I, I, I make a preacher's salary, um, um, so, so I don't make a ton of money. But I can imagine a world in which I borrow a billion dollars to do some venture that fails. Because, by the way, spoiler alert, if you give me a billion dollars to do some venture, almost certainly it's going to fail. So, so, so I can imagine a world in which I borrow a billion dollars uh, but a bank won't loan me that, so I go to the local loan shark who has a billion dollars on hand. The analogy's weak, okay, I understand. And so now I owe a billion dollars to the local loan shark. I don't know who that is, but somebody with a lead pipe, I'm sure, who's going around breaking kneecaps for not making their payments. Right? And so I owe a million dollars, a billion dollars to this guy, and I will never be able to repay it. I'll work every day the rest of my life. I can do night jobs. I can moonlight, I can do whatever, I am always going to be in debt, and then he's always sending people to break my kneecaps, and so once my kneecap recovers, he comes and breaks it, that's what they do in the movie, so I assume that's real, right, and I can imagine this world where I'm just constantly, like, I owe more than I could ever pay, and I'm in this cycle of violence that I can't get out of, and then, out of desperation, I pick up the phone, and I call my good friend Elon over in Austin. And I say, Mr. Musk, I hear you have some money. He's like, yes, I do. I'm like, good job, buddy. I see what you're trying to do there. I see what you're doing, Beckett. That kid right there. Where's his parents? <laughs> Mr. Musk, I see you have some money. He's like, yes. I'm like, perhaps you have a billion dollars just to pay off my loan. To this guy. And I'm sure after Mr. Musk, you know, very gladly just says, Yes, I would love to pay you, pay for that debt that I have no responsibility for at all. He writes a check to my loan shark, you know, pay to the order of loan shark, $1 billion, memo line, Matt Higginbotham's debt, gives it to the loan shark. Now all of a sudden, I, I paid zero dollars for my debt. It is fully canceled. Because somebody who had the resources to pay, paid for me. That's what Jesus did. But you owe a debt that you cannot pay. 
you know, the wages that you've earned for your life, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what you've earned. That's, that's, that's what you're, every day, when you go to bed, and you're totaling up in your account of good deeds, it's like, and another day of death. Right? It just adds up on the ledger. It never goes the opposite direction. It's just worse and worse and worse every day. There's another bad day. There's another bad thing. There's no, the wages of sin is death. That is what you have earned for your life. But the gift right, of God in Christ Jesus is life. Right? Christ came and paid that debt. He canceled the debt by nailing it to the cross. And while you owed a death to God, Christ died that death for you. You owed a death to God. Right? The Bible talks about a second death. It's appointed for all men to die once and then a judgment. Right? But then there's a second death that is an eternal death that, that, that we, we, we see described in the Bible. Looks a lot like a place we call hell. And that is the death that we're, we're destined to, to exist for all time. For eternity. And that's what you owe to God. And Christ said, I will die a death that I don't deserve for you. And your debt was nailed to the cross. That's why we celebrate the cross. That's why we sing songs like, oh, the wonderful cross. Right? Why do we always sing about, like, you imagine, like, it's like singing about an electric chair, right? Or a lethal injection chamber. Like, it's a method of execution. And we celebrate this method of execution through our hymns. Why? That is morbid and gross. And it's because through that cross... Your sin was canceled, fully and completely canceled, because Christ has the ability to pay your debt. You don't. You will spend eternity not paying it in hell otherwise. And so, guys, it, this, is, this is why we don't fall prey to worldly philosophies. Because no politician, no social club, no relationship that you have is going to die a death for you to redeem you from the power of hell. You don't give them your allegiance. You may give them your vote. You may even give them some financial support so they can beat down the bad guys. Right? I'm okay with all of those things. But your allegiance isn't to them or to their cause. We've got to be careful. There's a whole lot of people with Trump banners and not Jesus banners. I don't know what Jesus banners look like. Okay, I, maybe it's the Christian flag. I don't know what it looks like. I just know like it scares me in some ways. And I'm not like dangerously opposed to Donald Trump. I don't think he's the most dangerous man in the world. I, I don't feel that way. I just know that we must be about Jesus first. You, you, you can vote, you can support, you can, you can politic for whoever you want. You, you can support your organization, your charities. You can support all of those things, right? You can be a, a, a benefactor for, for, for all sorts of endeavors out there to help uh, human understanding of the world. You can do all these things, but do not allow your allegiance to go to something or someone or some idea that would never, that would never pause to die a death for you. They are not worthy of that amount of allegiance, guys. They're not. 
they're just not. You're like, well, the other side? Well, yeah, the other side definitely wouldn't either, right? Like, obviously. <laughs> like, they're all... Uh, in politics, I think they're all scoundrels. Just, just my opinion, by the way. I think they're all scoundrels. Um, it's a dangerous game. Um, God bless the politicians out there. Bill, good to see you. Um, <laughs> all of them are scoundrels, except for Bill. Bill's a great man over there. Loves the Lord. <laughs> Happy birthday to the two women in your life, by the way, Bill, since I've just done that. Good to see you out there, Sandy. Happy birthday, Melissa. Bill, Bill, Bill required Melissa to be born on his mother's birthday to marry her. I think he legally changed her birth certificate so he could just do one day of celebrating. Okay. But don't, don't give your allegiance to things that won't do what Christ did. And back to the very beginning, guys, let's be discipled by Jesus. Let's be discipled by his word. And yeah, that may mean you need to turn the computer off or set the phone down and pick the Bible up. Because if you spend, I promise you, if you spend six hours a day in the politics world and you spend two hours a week in the Jesus world, was that 42 to 2? That's bad. That's a bad discipleship ratio. You're going to look a lot more like politics than you are like Jesus. And I don't want that for our church. I don't want that for our world. We, we, we have a tendency to fall prey to worldly philosophies. I do too. Like, it's not y'all. It's us. <laughs> Jesus is better. So let's hold to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you need to get baptized. We talked about that a little while ago. I'm going to have an invitation in just a minute. There's no shame. There's no anything. I just, let's get this thing right. Let's testify to what God has done in your heart. Maybe you need to do that. Come down and talk to me. Maybe you want to join a church. Look, our church is not perfect. The pastor, scoundrel. Best day, scoundrel. Not a perfect man. I worship a perfect man. <laughs> I serve a perfect God. But, but guys, I'm a scoundrel as much as the next guy. But I love the Lord. If you want to join a church that loves the Lord and is trying, striving to push back darkness in Milam County, and to bring people into the fold of faith, we need co-laborers, people to join up with us. Maybe God's just been working in your heart, and you just need to do some business with God personally, privately. I don't even know what it is, but God said, man, this is for you. Take some time in the invitation. Do some business privately. If you want me to pray for you, uh, I'd be honored to do that. Whatever it is, though, guys, we need to give our loyalty and allegiance to Christ and Christ alone, because Christ is the only one who is able and was willing to save our souls. Let me pray.